Okay, I want every man to try that voice at home this afternoon, all right? We'll compare notes next week and see how it, see how it works out. Well, probably it didn't take long to figure out that Prince Charming wasn't always charming. And uh, we're, we, we have to settle in, don't we? It takes work and uh, sacrifice for us to get to a place to where we, uh, we know who we really are. And we think we do, but then after marriage, somebody said that love is blind, that marriage is the great eye-opener, amen? And uh, hopefully, hopefully you're happy and thankful. Well, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Revelation we're going to talk, like I said, during the month of June about the family, our different various responsibilities as husbands and wives, parents and children. We're going to take some time and just celebrate the family is what I want to do. I want to celebrate what God has given us. I hope you feel like your family is worth celebrating. I don't think any of us would say that our families are perfect, that our marriages are perfect that we are perfect, and yet in spite of those things, uh, I think that we have something that's worth celebrating and things that we ought to always be seeking to improve and become what God wants us to become. I want you to look with me in Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1 and uh, read down through verse number 7 in this letter from Christ to the church at Ephesus. Verse 1, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of the place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of of the paradise of God. Father, would you do today, Lord, what only you can do? Would you speak to us? Lord, I pray that we would, as we were admonished here in, in this text of Scripture we've read, that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us today through thy word. Deal with us, Lord Jesus, in the areas that we need dealing with. Draw us closer to you and then bless us in our relationships, in our home. 
God, I pray that through the messages that you bring, you lead us, Lord, to to have, I pray that you would strengthen all of our families. And we'll thank you for what you do. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Paul wrote the first letter. We call it an epistle, a book, the book of Ephesians. He wrote it there to the Ephesian church, and in that book he draws a divinely inspired analogy between our relationship with the Lord Jesus and that of a marriage between a man and a woman. I don't need to, I don't need to elaborate on this, but I just want to clarify and say something very uh, specific, and that is that the only marriage that God recognizes is the marriage between a man and a woman. Nothing else is truly biblical. I don't care how our culture changes. I don't care what becomes politically correct. and I don't care what laws come out of Washington, D.C. It's just not true. In, in the beginning, God made them, and, and he made them Adam and Eve. And, and that's a beautiful picture and, and it's in within those boundaries that God blesses and, and God gives us so many wonderful and beautiful things out of that relationship. So there's, you, you, can't, you, you, you can't distort that and you can't improve upon that. And, and so God gives the blueprint in Ephesians between how a man and a woman and children. He goes in chapter 6, verse 1, 2, and 3, and talks about the responsibility of a child. And so he says, and by the way, it's a very clear, precise, and simplistic blueprint. It's not something that we have to struggle with to figure out, where's my place? What do I do? How do I fit? That's not it at all. God gives great clarity in the blueprint in Ephesians chapter 5, as far as the home is concerned. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Now I want to remind you that that is something that we are perpetually striving for. That's, in my opinion, of all the assignments, that is the most difficult. To think that somehow God has placed man upon this pedestal and given us the throne room and the crown and that we get to lord over everybody beneath us is a false misconception of what he's saying in Ephesians chapter 5. The reality of it is he gives the harder and and the most difficult assignment to the man. I am to love my wife as Jesus Christ loved the church. That's something that I'll be striving to do for the rest of my life. And if I lived a thousand lifetimes, it would take me every one of them to continually strive to be that kind of a man. The second thing is that the wife is to submit to her husband. Though the world may rebel against that thought, it doesn't matter. The world did not design the family, God did. And since he was the creator of of the family unit, he knows what's best. And so he says, husbands, you love her. And wife, you submit unto your husband as the church is supposed to be submitted 
unto Christ himself. And then he says to the children that you are to obey and you are to honor your father and your mother. And the promise of that is long life on this earth. And so God gives those assignments, and, and, and I'd just like to tell you they're lifetime assignments. Those are things that we all must constantly be working at, and while they're easy to understand, they're hard to follow through on, and the reason for that is because they go against our, our inherent sinful nature. It's, it's, it's hard to love because we're selfish. It's hard to submit because we're rebellious. It's hard to obey because we're disobedient. And so God gives us assignments that goes directly against the grain of who we are as sinful people. It's difficult. It's a difficult time. And I would suggest to you that we have reaped the consequences of our dysfunctional family units throughout our society and are reaping them even unto this day. There's no God in our culture. We still have it on our dollar bill, and I'm grateful for that. In God we trust, but that God's not taught in our school system. That God's not really recognized uh, in our society. And so we have a generation of people that that have given themselves to anarchy and they feel like they can there's there's no real legal boundaries there's no true moral boundaries and yet we know from the word of god there are and um they bring order to our life now that 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 ephesian letter that epistle to the ephesians was written to them and then 30 years later after paul's epistle John delivers a letter that is written by Christ himself. It comes from the hand of Jesus Christ and is delivered to the same church there at Ephesus 30 years later. And it indicates some great qualities. I want you to think about this. This is a church, this is a church that is at least 30 years old. They've been in existence and have been functioning and ministering for 30 years. And so now this letter comes to them. And in that letter, it points out, the Lord does, that they were a serving church. Well, that's a good thing. I know thy works and thy labor. Jesus said, you're not lazy. You're not idle. You're busy. You're, you're, you're working. You are... You're laboring, you're giving intensity, you're investing yourselves in to the work of ministry. That's a good thing. Then he said they were patient. And, and by the way, uh, that, that quality of patience is something, it's not just for individuals. Listen, being a patient church will keep a church out of a lot of problems. Being a patient church will keep a church on course. It'll keep them from a lot of trendy fads that come and go. Boy, have I seen a ton of them in my lifetime. That at one moment was dead center of the stage and the spotlight was right on that and now all of a sudden 
it's, 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 it went the way of bell-bottoms. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's long gone. And, and so they were patient. And by the way, being patient takes trust. Listen to me carefully. Being patient takes trust in the Lord. They stood for truth. They were, you can read it. They were doctrinally sound. They did not, they did not give themselves over to, to false doctrines. And, and they even examined people that said, hey, we're of God, and they were not. But that scripture said they were doctrinally correct. And by the way, there is no reason ever for what for, for any purpose at all to ever venture off from true doctrine. Doctrine is what keeps us anchored to God and His will for us. We never sacrifice doctrine for any purpose or any reason. Not only that, but they'd been through some testing. They had been through some testing and they, they hadn't quit. They, they, they stayed up. By the way, entire churches, not just people, not just families, but entire churches can fall by the wayside. And so here was a church that had been through the fire. And they were still there. 30 years later, still going strong for God. Now, can you, can you see this meeting at this church? Here they are, all of a sudden, this letter is being delivered to them, and somebody said, all right, I want to read a letter to you. This letter came from Jesus. And so the pastor said, we got a letter. Jesus sent a letter to us. We're going to read it. So he stands up and reads this letter. And he's reading off one, two, three. This is good. Man, you're patient. I like that. Everybody's nodding. Yeah. <laughs> you went through trouble and you came through. Oh, yeah. Remember that? I remember that. They're whispering to each other. It's all good. And to the casual observer, everybody would say, man, that's awesome. That church is, that church is on track. But Jesus isn't a casual observer. He sees he sees beneath the surface and he sees the heart of what really is. And so the entire tone of the letter changes. You can almost feel the, you can almost feel the air sucked out of the building when, when, when he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Powerful. They sit there with bated breath, waiting on what is it. All this good, all this, all these compliments, and now all of a sudden we're down to where the tire meets the pavement. What, what could be wrong? And something was wrong. You know what it was? They weren't the church that they used to be. They weren't where they once were. They had... They had left their first love. That's what he said to them. He said, I've got someone against you. You walked away from where you were, from where you began. When this all started out, we were together. We were close. I was your first love. There was passion. There was heartbeat. There was, there, there was uh, the, 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 the emotion and the commitment. But now... You have left the love that you once had. 
for me. wonder what it was. There, I'm not going to even take time right now to speculate, but there, there, were, there were things that caused them to walk away from the passion. Something, something caused them to abandon, to whatever degree, the love that they once had for Christ. They had, they had walked away from it. They had abandoned it. They hadn't lost it. They had left it. I'm glad for that. It's not something that was blindly lost. It was something that was deliberately left. And when I say deliberate, I mean it's not so much that they intended to leave it, but that they allowed things to push them further and further away. That ought to scare us as a church. We ought to be always on our toes that, that we are examining ourselves and looking at ourselves and making sure that we're not leaving where we were in our heartbeat for God. Sometimes in those early pioneer days, sometimes there's a passion and a, and a heartbeat for God that can easily be lost if we're not careful. You can look fine on the outside, look really good and really polished, and yet down deep inside you can drift away from the Lord. Now, now stay with me, okay? I know where I'm going. The analogy that was given in the first letter that Paul wrote to Ephesus was drawing the line, the parallel between Jesus and the church of Ephesus and a man and his wife. There's a parallel. There's an analogy that's being drawn there in that first letter. And now in this second letter, I think it's very appropriate that we realize what he's going to give us next is he's going to give us some, some points to which, if applied properly, can revive this church and its relationship with Jesus. He's now, after saying, I'm thankful for all these things and I love you for those, but I've got something that I need to point out that's lacking in your relationship with me. It's not where it was. You've walked away. You've left it. You've strayed. You've drifted. There's space between us. And if it applies to the relationship in the second letter between Christ and that church at Ephesus, then according to that parallel, it is also applicable to the relationship between a man and his wife, marriage. And I think it's very, very possible. Listen carefully. It's highly possible that we could leave the first love that we had in those early days, in the beginning days of our relationship. We can walk away and stray. I mean, it looks good on the outside. There's things to compliment. It's a wonderful couple. It's a nice home. And yet down deep inside, there can be, there can be some things that need reviving. Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, 
I want to give you three steps that will bring you back. I want to give you three steps that will get us back to where we belong in your relationship with me as your Savior. And I want us today, as we think about this analogy that was drawn with this church, I want us to look at how do you revive a marriage? How do you revive it? How do you get it breathing again like it needs to breathe? How do you, how do you bring life back to a marriage that's stuck in survival mode? First of all, I want you to write this down. We must remember. Notice in verse number 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Look at that. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. I, I use this formula in so many marriage conferences that I do around the country because these three R's are, are, are the steps, not that some man... Has, has drummed up over years of counseling. These are divinely inspired steps on how to restore the, the vitality to a relationship that is desperately hurting. And so he said there to them, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. They'd forgotten some things. There were some things about their early relationship with Christ that, 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 that they had forgotten, and he was reminding them, of what they once had before the drift began. You remember when the children of Israel were, were on the verge of going into the promised land? You remember one of the things that God said to them over and over again was remember? Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. You better remember, don't forget. Why did he say it to them over and over again? Because he realizes our propensity for forgetfulness. Let me give you a verse. Deuteronomy 4.23, listen to this verse. He's saying this to them, Take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you, and make you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. He said this, Don't forget God's goodness. You made a covenant with God. God was so good to you, you entered into a covenant with Him. And He's saying to them, Hey, don't forget that, because if you do, you go looking for another God. I'm going to tell you, if we forget the blessing that God has given us in our marriage, it's very easy for us to go shopping somewhere else. That's what, that's what the filth of pornography is all about. It's just shopping. It's, it's a reflection, not so much of a relationship between a man and his wife, but the relationship between a man and his God. He's unhappy with what God has gifted him with. And so he tells them that they're in danger, that they would forget the blessings. And, and, and there was a time in all of our marriage relationships that we felt so much for each other that we walked an aisle. Actually, in front of everybody, we walked an aisle. People were saying, don't, 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 don't step in your knees, you know. Breathe deeply. Loosen your collar lest you pass out. I've preached weddings before where we had to grab guys because they were blacking out. I mean, literally, just scared to death. 
You know what we did? We committed to each other for life. For life. And I'm standing across, you know, uh, that August day in Fairfax, Virginia. John Bonds is behind there. He's got a Bible, and I'm standing across from this beautiful girl, and, and we're looking at each other, and we're making, we're making pledges. We're making commitments that are deep and long-lasting. I mean, it's, it's not light stuff whatsoever. But if we're not careful, our heart can break those commitments. We can actually leave the way that we feel about each other. You know why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. Your heart and my heart has something in common. You know what it is? It's wicked. Isn't that great? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Doesn't that encourage you? Hey, I went to church today. My pastor told me my heart was wicked. <laughs> What's yours do for you? It's true, though. God said it. And we have to recognize that because here's the thing. Your heart will lead you astray. Your heart will, will cause you to drift one from another and, and, and from the Lord. And, and by the way, listen, here's the, here's the reality. Listen carefully to me. Come on. Come on. Because of our sin nature, we don't have problems remembering the struggles and the negative things. I said, tell me something. Tell me something that, that your uh, mate did in the last month that really ticked you off. Hands would go up everywhere if you were honest. Right? I got a word of testimony. Tell me something that really aggravates you that they do. Hands are popping up all over the place. It's easy to remember the negatives. That's because of our sin nature. But we gravitate to the negative. We ought to remember. He said, remember, remember from whence thou art fallen. If you circle that word fallen in your mind, it'll let you know a little bit about what's going on when this drift begins to happen. You're in a free fall. Now, you may not hit bottom yet, but when you fall, you're going to hit. Okay, when you fall, you're going to hit. And you, you may not have felt the thud of reality when you crash into the bottom of, 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 of where your, your fall is taking you, but there will come a time when you will meet the consequences of your free fall in your relationship one with another, and you'll hear the thud echoing in your life. I have fallen and landed where I did not intend on landing. Let me say that you ought to remember what attracted you to each other. Years ago, I read a statement, uh, um, love is friendship that caught fire. And, and the reality of the matter is that most of the time, like precedes love. You like somebody, and then as you spend time with them, you fall in love with them. Now, when I saw my wife, I think it was love first. But she reciprocated with like. Very slow in that part of the response. In fact, I had to convince her. But anyhow, the reality of the matter is, and by the way, you know what? I, 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 this, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, 
you don't find a lot of songs that rhyme with like, okay? Because, I mean, who's, what are you going to write about I like you? Don't, people don't write songs about liking, hiking, spiking, biking. It's nothing romantic. But love, turtle dove, stars above. I mean, I'm just saying the, 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 it's, it's a better song. And, 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 and so there's not, a lot, there's not a lot said about like, but, but the reality is that liking, listen to me carefully, liking is valuable. In fact, liking is vital for the long-term health of relationship. Loving, loving will get you to the altar. People get married because they love one another. People stay married because they like one another. Listen carefully. It's true. Now, I've been through this enough. I've counseled enough. I've wept enough. I know what I'm talking about. People get married because they love each other. People stay married because they like each other. You may be in love and out of like. You better work on the like. Because, because it's, it's, it's important. What was it that attracted you to each other to start with? What happened to the laughter? What happened to the fun? Where, where, at what point did you leave it all behind? And by the way, it's going to take some dialogue. It's going to take some dialogue to recapture those memories. But it's worth the communication if you'll do that. I want to say you also ought to remember your covenant of commitment. I love the story. I read it again. I read it again just to refresh my mind this week of Alexander the Great when he arrived on the shores of Persia. He was hopelessly outnumbered. The Persian military uh, far outnumbered the Greeks. Superiority was just just overwhelming. And uh, they had the advantage on top of numbers. They had the advantage of fighting on their home soil. And, and their navy was the most powerful naval fleet in the world at that time. But in spite of all the odds, Alexander did something that shocked his men. He ordered that all of their own ships be burned. And so as the men stood aghast watching fire being set to the vessels that had brought them to Persia, They burned to ashes. Alexander said this to his men, We go home in Persian ships or we die. (coughs) Excuse me. That was the commitment that pressed those men forward against all odds and they won the great victory, (coughs) amazing victory over the Persians. Now here's the deal. When we came down an aisle, we said these words. Now, I'm not talking, listen, say, well, preacher, I, look, this is my third marriage or, or this is my, I don't care. doesn't matter. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about now. I'm not, talk, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm, I, you, there, there's no changing that. I'm talking about now. I'm talking about in a spirit-filled home, there must be commitment to each other. And we say, till death do us part. We're saying that not only in front of the witnesses that have gathered, 
We're saying that in front of our God. That I am committing myself to you till death do us part. That's a serious commitment and a covenant that we make with each other. And, and, and we ought to, listen, we, 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 ought to, we ought to remember that. You ever, you ever read those words that you covenanted with each other? You ever read them? Or was just that one time good enough? You ever, you ever sit down and talk about the memory of, of that day and what you did and how you committed your lives to each other? Let me tell you something. Our homes are so splintered and fractured, so ill-defined that our children know very little about a commitment to marriage. and They ought to be taught by us the importance of that relationship. So we ought to remember. Notice second thing, verse number 5. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and what's the next word? Repent. Now what's the word repent mean? It's to change direction. So if I'm walking this way, I'm going here, and all of a sudden I decide I don't want to go down that hallway, I want to go out of the gym. You know what I've got to do? I've got to repent. What does that mean? I have to change direction. That's the door that leads to where I want to go. My truck isn't parked in the hallway. My truck is parked on that side of the gym. So i got to change direction. So when we get to a place, he said this, remember where you were. You've drifted from me. That's what he's saying to them. You've drifted from me in our relationship. Remember where you were. Remember where you need to be and turn around. You're going the wrong direction. I'm going to tell you what that's going to take on our part. That's going to take humility. When we're in a relationship that's not where it was and not where it should be, and and we're going in the wrong direction, Jesus is saying, turn, admit you're wrong. For Pete's sake, admit you're going in the wrong direction. Repent, turn around, make it right. Now, I'm going to say something to you. I want you to listen to me. Everybody listen. Okay? I've been at this long enough to, I've I've not figured everything out. I don't have all the answers. I don't even have all the questions. But I have figured this out. If you don't want to change, there's no eloquency. There's no points. There is literally nothing that I can do to make you change if you don't want to. That's a hard thing. When I first got in the ministry, I, I, I don't mean in an arrogant way. I just thought, I, can, I, I believe I can help anybody. I don't believe that anymore. And the reason I don't is because I don't believe everybody wants help. Now, I believe that the Bible can help anybody that wants help. But when I meet somebody that doesn't want help, I'm going to tell you, I can talk till I'm blue in the face. And both their ears fall off. And they're going to walk away with no help whatsoever. You ever have somebody come to you with a problem and they got this problem and, and they don't know what to do with it and you give them advice on what to do with it but they're, they victimize themselves and so they're holding on to that victim role and it's very simple, just, just stop. It's like somebody with a bad relationship and, 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 and somebody's abusing them and, using, and you say, don't, no, you gotta, you gotta, 
you know, the Bible teaches you've got you to gotta get away from that, but they won't. You can't help people like that. you just got to let them enjoy it. Just have, I mean, you, I don't know what else to say. I'm just simply saying that's the lesson that's being taught. Listen carefully. Repentance is an attitude of the heart. And until the heart changes, nothing will change in the relationship. There's got to be a heart change. It begins in the heart. When I'm going this way, and I'm figuring out if I keep going, I'm going in the hall, I'm going to tell you, I've got to in my heart decide and make up my mind, I don't want to go there, I want to go there. The heart turns before the body does. And I'm going to just say this to you. Whatever your relationship is, whatever your struggles are, whatever your problems are, listen to me carefully. It hinges on your heart. Now understand there's somebody else involved and you can spend the rest of your life blaming them if you want to. And there, there may be validity to that, but that won't, change, that won't keep you from changing. If you want to become, I can't become the wife God wants Susie to become. I can't do that. That's an impossibility. So rather than me spending my life trying to become what God wants her to become, I've got to spend my life trying to become what God wants me to be to her. And as we both do that, our relationship grows. I'm just simply saying repentance is a turning and real change begins within and we have to be the ones that initiate that change. Let me ask you a question. Really simple, and then we're going to move to our last point. Let me just ask you a quick question. What direction is your marriage heading in? And then, then I would follow that up with simply this. If you continue in that direction, is it taking you where you want to go? Well, preacher, no, I, I don't, I, that's, I, I don't, it's not where I really want to be. Well, what are you going to do about it? Repent. Turn around. And, and, and make the changes in your direction that must be made to get where you want to go. That's not hard to figure out. It may be hard to do, but it's not hard to figure out. Last of all, notice verse 5 again. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Not Watch this now. And do the first works. What is that saying? It's saying return. Go back to where you were. Return. We remember, we repent, and we return. Go back to where you were in the beginning. You know what it's saying? Simply this. If, if, you'll just, um, if, if you'll just remember, the key to regaining health in your marriage is to remember how it all started. Re, re, repent of where you left it and return to where you're supposed to be. It's our relationship with the Lord. I remember when I got saved, particularly at the age of 16, my life really began to take off for God. Man, it was fast. Things were happening. I was memorizing Scripture. I was under conviction for the first time. I didn't even know what conviction was. I was just squirming in my seat. I surrendered my life to full-time service. At one retreat, Tennessee Temple uh, 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 University, 
And then, and then in a Carl Hatch revival in March the 20th, 1973, as a 17-year-old kid, I walked down the aisle and surrendered my life to preach. I was actually numb. My life was changing so quickly. I just thought, what in the world is happening to me? God was moving me along. But boy, it was quite a ride. I remember those things. Well, if I'm further away from the Lord now than I was then, I've got to repent. And I've got to go back. It's like Jacob going back to Bethel, which means the house of God. Beth, house, El, God, house of God. Where'd you leave him at? Where'd you walk away from him at? You've got to return. You've got to go back. You've got to repeat the things that you once did. And, and, the sad, and, and recapture that passion in our relationship. And the sad thing is this. Come on, come on, be honest. The sad thing is it's, it's very easy to get very lazy in marriage. It is. You know why? Because we take each other for granted. No, it was, no when we first started dating, man, it was, it was on. You know what I'm saying? We were spending money. We were going out. Every chance we got, we were doing something together. We were... Uh, I mean, man alive. I mean, even if it was just a hamburger joint, we were doing something. We were talking on the phone. We were, we were, we were spending money on long-distance calls. I mean, we, we just, every chance we had. We don't have to do that no more. You know what we do? Cruise control. It's all good. It's all good. I love the picture of Prince Charming. You know, he just set his armor there. I love that. She lifts the mask, he's gone. You know what I'm saying? You're together, but you're not. That's really easy. It's really easy to happen. You know, you know what you did? You created a chemistry in those early days. In the beginning, there was a chemistry that carried you all the way to the wedding altar. And you didn't lose that chemistry, you left it. Some people think that chemistry is like red hair. You either have it or you don't. No, that's not true. You create it. You make it by the things you say, by the way you carry yourself, by the attention that you pay to the other. And so how do we get that back? How do we regain the lost love, the lost or, or the left love and the left chemistry? How do we regain the things that we left? How do we regain those? He did not tell them to be, B-E. He told them to D-O, to do. He didn't say be the first person you were. No, that's, that's impossible. That's unfair. He didn't say be that person. Be that church. They couldn't be that church. This was 30 years down the road. They couldn't go back to being the church plant they were. Things had changed. People that were there had died. It was different. In our relationship, he's not saying, you, Dean, you be, you be the person you were. I, look, he's gone. I, I'll never be the boy that walked down an aisle at Bethlehem Baptist Church with Susie again. That boy's gone. His hair's different. His face is deteriorating. I've said this before, but I look, I look in the mirror in the morning and I say, 
dude, what is happening to you? Change. It just it it just changes. One day I'm gonna go on vacation. I'm gonna have my face threaded, and I'm my hair dyed, dyed jet black. And I'm gonna walk into y'all and say, "What? Why are you staring at me that way?" The reality of the matter is, I can't be, but I can do. I can't be the boy that stood at an altar with her pledged his life to her, but I can do the things that, that, that led us together and that won her. Listen, I don't ever want to stop being her boyfriend. I don't, I don't ever want to stop doing the things that the boyfriend did. The attraction will follow the action. God's not asking you to be. God said, if you'll do what you used to do, the relationship will come back. And so here's what I'm going to close with. I'm just going to say go back. Turn around. Go back. Go back to what attracted you to each other. Go back to the laughter. Go back to the fun. Go back to the investment. Go back to the infatuation. Oh, I know it's old love. I know it's, I know it's mature love. That's all good. But don't lose... Don't lose, don't lose those early things that brought you together. Reclaim, reclaim what you had. I had a friend say to Susie and I, a mutual friend, said, you two make me sick. We were in Bible college. They said, you, you, you make me sick. Why? Because you stare at each other like there's nobody else in the entire cafeteria. Go back. Slap the kids if you have to. Lock them in a closet. No, I'm kidding. Just go back to that passion and that feeling in your marriage. Well, let's pray. Do we do that? Heads bowed. Eyes closed. Think. Think about, here's what I want you to do, remember, just remember. You may say, preacher, it's better now. Well, then thank God. Praise Him. Preacher, I'm going to be honest with you. It's better today. That's a great testimony. That didn't happen by chance. That's work. We've got a lot of joys in our life, don't we? I read the other day a statistic that said that being a grandparent is one of the most influential positions in all the world. I'm grateful for that. I'm still a dad. I still have influence. I'm thankful for that. But it's got to begin closer. It's got to be me and my wife. That's where 
starts with me and the Lord. And that should be the foundation for the relationship between me and my wife. Return. Remember. Repent. Return. Simple formula. It came from God Himself. Father, we thank you for the clarity of this scripture. Three simple steps. They're not easy, but they're simple. I pray you'd help us to even take some time as a couple to remember that love that maybe we've strayed from and that we would repent of the distance that's there now and that we would return to being what you want us to be as a family. And in our relationship with you, I pray that those very things would be fulfilled in our life. We'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. I pray these things. Amen.